everybody. Welcome back to uh, Monroe Podcast. And I'm here with uh, Zarko Maseltra. And um, he is the CEO of Recyclico. Now, I've been to Recyclico. I've done a couple of uh, videos on what Zarko, uh, sorry. Uh, well, yeah, well, with Zarko, actually, and what Recyclico has been doing. And I, I think it's time for an update. So, Zarko, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, first off, I guess um, it, it might be good if we kind of let a few people know what exactly um, Recyclico does, apart from recycling um, lithium lithium carbonate or lithium in general, or actually any of the elements that are associated with uh, recycling batteries. But why don't you give us a little in-depth uh, kind of description? Yeah, well, you know, we're a lithium-ion battery recycling and up upcycling company, and I like to say it, right? And really focusing on our patented technology. Um, and I think when it comes to recycling, there's different ways to think about it, right? There's collection of batteries. There's obviously the, the shredding of batteries and what the industry calls more as like a black mass. Within that, you have lithium, nickel, manganese, cobalt, and graphite. But it doesn't stop there, right? I think this is where the recyclical process comes in and actually being able to extract these materials. Um, and I think it's one thing to be able to extract the materials. And I think the other is to be able to upcycle them. Um, and I think that's where really key differentiator is for us is what I mean by upcycling is actually creating that battery grade quality. You know, not, not just separating out nickel or cobalt or lithium, but um, producing producing that lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide into a battery grade quality. Or even when it comes to nickel, manganese, and cobalt, it's not just individually extracting nickel, manganese, and cobalt, but um, producing what's known as a precursor cathode material, right? So these are more near net final products that can go back into a battery cell and which we've shown can go back into a battery cell. Um, you know, we have a lot of news releases. Uh, we've had many testimonials on this as well, where our material has been used back in lithium ion battery cells for testing. And it's shown to equal or even surpass the performance of, uh, of commercial grade qualities. So um, it's a high level. That's, I think, a very important part in creating a circular economy. I think when we think of the recycling industry in general, sometimes we see it as, you know, just taking in material and breaking it down. Um, but with battery materials, we really want to create that circular approach and, and right. you can't just mine for all new materials. Yeah. The upcycling is, uh, I mean, everybody hears about recycling. And so you, we've got a couple of examples that actually you guys sent us. So this is uh, uh -huh. recycled lithium right here. It's nice and white. But it didn't start off that way. <clears throat> this is black mass, and I can't imagine why they call it black mass, but there you go. And it all starts off with, oh, this would be cathode scrap. So you see it all chewed up here, um, and, um, and that's, in essence, what everybody starts with. So um, recycling to the point of having lithium means that now i got to reformulate it. And I think this is one of yours here. This is PCAM. And, um, and uh, so this would be kind of the, 
material that I'd want to have if I was going to be manufacturing batteries, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think I'm, I'm glad the, glad you showed those products because you think about like where the waste is going to come from, you know, black mass coming from like all the shredded up material, but even cathode scrap, that's really important for some people to to recognize because, you know, EVs really just started getting to mass adoption right now, right? And, and I think what a, a lot of people I talk with say, well, we're not going to need recycling for many more years because EVs only just started coming out. But I think the important part to for listeners to understand is that when you're making those batteries at the battery plant, there's a lot of scrap rate. And that that's that cathode scrap where it can be recycled directly on site as well. And then you wanted to introduce it to like that really clean white looking lithium and that precursor precursor material that's a mixture of nickel, manganese, and cobalt. And then really that's those are the two materials you need in making um the cathode material in the battery, which is you know more than 50% of the value of, of the lithium ion battery. And mm-hmm. I think when it comes to the total cost of the car as well, a pretty significant percentage in right. terms of cost. Right. And, and, and upcycling is a, a very good term. So people say, um, Oh, I want to recycle. And I usually say, can we reuse it? And uh, in essence, it's kind of like a reuse kind of a deal. It's, it's different because you're going through many more steps, but at the end of the day, I like the idea of not having to go back all the way to square one and then clunk, clunk, clunk. And now I've got what I could have gotten from you um, early on. So to me, the upcycling uh, process, I, I think, has a lot of, uh, a lot of merit. And, and quite frankly, well, actually, on the merit thing, I, uh, I heard that the Taiwan Department of um, Investment Review came out pretty good. And you and uh, Zenith uh, Chemical are working closely together. Is that correct? Yeah, that's our first. Uh, so, I mean, our, our process, one thing about having great technology, you know, that's great. You know, we have patents for it and, and that's one piece of the puzzle. But the next is, you know, can you commercialize this technology? And yeah. uh, with uh, Zenith Chemical in, in Taiwan, they're our first uh, JV partner. So our approach to our technology is, is, is to build commercial plants in partnership. And uh, th- this will be the first one. Um, we got the invest, you know, Forming a, a joint venture in Taiwan is, is a process as well, with legal documents. So that investment review was approved. I mean, the JV is formed. Uh, that is underway. And I think one thing you would really like, Sandy, is, is our approach and how we build these plants. Um, when we look at kind of your conventional recycling plant or what we're seeing out there, it's a very large hundred million dollar plus capex you know this big standalone facility that's looking to receive material from multiple sources but ours building in partnership we look at a more modular approach because one thing we're not really sure of in this industry is when is the waste going to be there who's going to have the waste and how much waste is there going to be right so we don't want to build a big billion dollar plant for 2040 expectations we're building more smaller modular plants, right? And with that Zenith one, that's you know twenty-five estimated twenty-five million dollar capex, two thousand tons per year modular plant that we would build here in Vancouver, and then we would so you essentially build out the plant, break that up almost into Lego pieces, ship it over, 
have it commissioned, put together and commissioned. And that way we can actually deploy our technology globally and a lot faster. Um, I think allows for um, a smoother transition instead of kind of preparing site and building then. Um, so I, th- I think I think that approach is one where um, we can then implement our technology alongside the Gigafactory or alongside an EV plant where there, this waste is being collected or produced mm-hmm. as well. And then uh, that allows for one more streamlined approach. But this is this will be our first uh, commercial JV, so really proving out the commercial readiness of our technology. So that, that is that the one you're going to be doing with Nanoramic? So with with nano the nanoramic news we had was, I think when we look at, you know, nanoramic they just got the DOE loan uh, or DOE grant. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I think it was forty seven, forty seven and a half million. We're we're there as a partner and collaborator on the recycling side. Uh-huh. Um, in essence, I mean, I don't want to don't want to butcher nanoramic's description of technology, but it's essentially the PBDF free. Um, technology for the cathode and anode um, where you, so you don't have that um, binder material, the, the fluoride, yeah, right? right? So, yeah, you know, fluorine, fluorine free uh, uh, material and working with them. I think what we want to demonstrate on the recycling side is that their material can be recycled more efficiently, but we also understand that, you know, regulations are coming into place where, material like nanoramics is going to be more sought after by mm. battery manufacturers and EV companies because of those environmental benefits. And on top of all of that, just not just how the material is made, but also the fact that it can be recycled a lot more efficiently because you don't have that binder. So we, we've, we've, we've shown that and we continue to work with them on kind of demonstrating, um, demonstrating our, what our technology can do. Well, um, you know, we, I, I, I kind of like uh, seem to think that I always forget something. One of the things that makes a company, as far as I'm concerned, is leadership. Actually, I think it's the only thing that makes a company. Uh, if you don't have good leadership, hmm, things don't happen. Uh, you've been running, um, you've been running the show here for a bit, and and quite frankly, um, I think you're very good at it. So. One of the things I'd like to do is, can you provide us with a little background? Uh, I probably should have asked that at the beginning, but uh, seeing as I just thought of it, uh, can you probably give us a little background on on you, actually, and how your, um, I don't know, passion, I guess, got this place rolling? For sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, my, my background is in engineering, uh, specifically mining engineering. Um, so... I worked mining, mineral processing, um, you know, but always, you know, going throughout my career, I always had a passion in electric vehicles and the curiosity of kind of hit, hit me is like, what are we going to do with all these end of life batteries at one point? Right. And I was working for a mineral processing company, you know, it's, uh, you're still dealing with, same kind of metals that you could be dealing with in a, in a lithium ion battery. And really even in some of these recycling techniques, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's quite similar. And, um, I, I just kind of kept asking that question. Um, you know, 
realize I have more of a passion for urban mining than I do for mining. I, I thought it was, it, was, it, was, it was much more appealing. Urban mining. It's a good, uh, yeah. <laughs> good analogy. Yeah, I know. And when we call I, those I do, guys here, they, they strip copper out of old houses. <laughs> it's urban, <laughs> urban mining. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, ur- urban mining is, uh, I, I mean, when you look at it, you look at some of these mining projects, even great mining projects, and, and ones that we really need in, in the world, and, and they're just chock full of environmental um, pushback local local protests you know government protests permitting <laughs> yeah you know you can't even you can't even get some great mines up up and running but with like recycling or urban mining there's there's so much of a demand for it there's so much of a push for it like you you want that you you want to be able to recycle your waste so um i, I uh at the time found american manganese was just kind of kicking off the work in uh, lithium-ion battery recycling and uh, just thought I would, you know, I really wanted to join the team. It was a small team at that time, and you know, still, still relatively are. And um, I just started off doing whatever, whatever was possible. I said, just mm. I'll, I'll do anything. I, I actually really, I actually really like this. And the CEO at the time, I think, like the like my attitude on it, and um, slowly kind of progressed my way through to focusing on technology and, and was being the CTO of the company. Um, and then a year and a half ago, transitioned to the CEO myself. So, um, yeah, I, I do personally like the, the technology side, you know, I like the, the engineering side of things, right. CEO yeah, comes with a yeah. different, uh, different set of, uh, problems that you got to deal with. Um, CEO, the biggest all, problem with CEO fun. is you're in charge of finding money. So uh, how's that been going for you? <laughs> or dare I ask? That wasn't on my list of questions, but it's always yeah. something I, I guess I, I like to know about because really and truly, um, you know, it's the mother's milk. If, uh, if you don't get money, um, you don't go anywhere. So uh, we were talking earlier about um, uh, the co- Consumer Electronics Show, and I was... I was there for um, until Thursday or Friday, and and I noticed one thing that that was different than last year. Last year there was absolutely nobody walking around with pockets full of money, no investors whatsoever. This year I saw two um, corporations that we've worked with in the past to do due diligence. I saw nobody um, last year or the year before, for that matter. And then this year, I saw two. So maybe that means that uh, the uh, financial guys are loosening up on their purse strings or something. So have you had any issues? No, I mean, we'll talk about, uh, yeah, I think I, one thing I forgot to actually mention, uh, I'll get to on the money side of things as well. I think when, when I had started as well, as was like 2016. Yeah. And then like, I think Model 3 was just starting, like nobody was talking about battery recycling at, yeah. at that like very very few people knew about it were even saying it would be kind of profitable um so it, it I've, I've seen so many things change since then and i think for us you know on the on the finance side of things you know we're a publicly traded company so it's kind of an open book on that right you can mm. see how much cash we have if, if you if you'd really like right but um for us, for example, the next steps in our first commercial joint venture 
it's a 50-50 joint venture. Um, and part we get part of our equity on bringing in our technology. And then also part is going to be cash from the company, um, which the company has. The company has that cash on hand. And then we have, you know, remaining a remaining amount with with a good runway um to you know continue doing test work for companies you know building building these partnerships and relationships and then i think really next steps are kind of what our capital needs is really going to depend on what does that second or third or fourth jv look like mm. you know if it's another similar one like a 50 50 jv and it's you know our portion is a 10 million contribution to that project you know, those are areas we need to be thinking. But mm. one thing I will say is given our modular approach and being more nimble in the way we we handle our um, commercialization, it's, I think it's a much more sustainable and, and manageable approach. Um, if you think about trying to raise right now, you know, $500 million for a project, like major recycling project and taking on that huge risk, it's a lot harder to find money for that yeah right but proving out that we're commercial ready now with the first one i yeah. imagine second third fourth all you know come come easier as well um and it allows you to expand from there so yeah right now it's you know we have good we have good runway uh, we are thinking about whether our needs going to be um for second third fourth jv um and and with that, I mean, as a publicly traded company, there's there's different ways about then um, raising funds for yeah. for something like that. But yeah, it's something like you said. CEO's job is always trying to think about that and mm. how can you prepare yourself and be ready for a time that's good in the market as well. And and there's good opportunities ahead. Well, you got one other opportunity that I I read about a bit ago, and I might have the numbers wrong, but um, you're gonna you're gonna put up a plant in Vancouver, right, for about two thousand tons a year or something? Is that right? No, so that's that's gonna be the first uh, JV that will go oh, in Taiwan, but the the modular plants would be built in in the Greater Vancouver area. Mm. Um, so we're, we're going more of that modular build, um, and then deploying that. So that two thousand tons per year would be built here, but then commissioned. Uh, with our first partner so is there any um, uh, plans or opportunities to build in north america or or have you had any jvs that are around here because i mean taiwan's not a bad spot because you got china and china is producing more batteries than everybody so um, having them shipped i don't know what that is 150 200 miles uh to to taiwan is not a bad idea but we should be able to see enough recycling that it could be profitable for uh, for you as well, shouldn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. I think, I mean, you have a lot of experience in Asia as well, and I think you talk about it as well, right, where there's just the industry right now, and when you look at how much battery waste supply there is, battery manufacturers, yeah. you know, companies that want that material right away, like Asia is a hot spot. Um, so having the plant there, I think, is is quite strategic. Um, mm. I think it's an industry that's really ready for recycled material as well. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we have prospects in North America and Europe that we are working on. 
but I think what we're also seeing in North America and Europe is these plants, you know, just getting on their feet right now. I mean, there's, there's a few producing, producing plants and, um, relative to the scale of like Asia, but, you know, we're getting, we're getting kind of getting on our feet, uh, so to say here, and, mm. and that's going to build up a, a demand for, for recycling as well. So, you know, we are talking with a number of companies and, um, you know, I, I like to call it JV prospects. Um, I think the, the process of turning another one into like a JV two or a JV three is, that that does take time that does take negotiation that does take technical yeah, due diligence yeah. um right it's not just a sign a contract and we'll take your waste off of you and you and we'll give you back our product but it's more about a, more of a partnership than anything well i would have thought that there'd been something like uh something that would be beneficial for tesla for sure because they're already doing what they're doing but also uh, maybe Ford with the plant that they put up and Stellantis for the ones that are going into Canada and then, and then General Motors. Uh, they're, they're also, um, uh, you know, in the process of building plant. It would be a good idea if they, if they incorporated the idea of maybe taking the waste, because there is always scrap, especially at the beginning of the process. Um, you take that scrap away and... Um, uh, but it, it, it'd be a great idea if the, it was part of the architectural plans right now. Then it would be to, hey, I got a good idea. Let's put in uh, a recycling plant. And, oh, shit, we turned that into, you know, the hospital or something you, you're not going to move. Uh, so that it strikes me that that would be something that uh, they'd want to, you know, kind of plan for. Yeah, I, I I could tell you that you know that companies are thinking in that direction. I think even with, I mean we're in Canada here, so just thinking Canada alone, you know, from Vancouver we had the uh, Molly Cell announcement where they're going to be building a plant, right? Plant for like 2028, I believe. You got Stellantis and LG. You got PowerCo uh, in Ontario, um, Northvolt, BASF. Costco, right? Like all those battery battery supply chain being built in like Ontario and Quebec. So they're being built up. I think, you know, there are strategic teams within those companies thinking about things like this. Um, but I think it's just kind of that get the plant up, you know, w you know, there's thoughts on recycling. Um, but uh, that that's, you know, all, all, all takes uh, some time and, and technical review. Well, uh, you know, I, I was born in Canada. Um, things were a lot different when I was in Canada. But, uh, but what's, the, what's the prospects now? Um, like we get secondhand news about what's going on up north. And uh, what's, uh, what's the prospects of uh, Canada... Uh, moving a little more into uh, EV production or battery production. I know that I know about the Stellantis plant, the LG plant and stuff like that, but that's, uh, that's making batteries. Usually, you know, you have a car plant to go along with it. What, what's going on uh, that, uh, that might be interesting up there? Well, in terms of, I mean, last week it was, or I think it was last week or a week before, um, it's just, I think, rumored now, but even Honda, 
was looking at. Yeah, I, yep, that's right. Maybe yeah. they'll fact check this number. It was 14 billion or 18.4 yeah, billion. I think it is, yeah. Investment in battery and EVs. Yeah. And I think PowerCo or like, you know, Volkswagen, that is sells, sells and EVs. Uh, yeah. If I'm correct, that's $14 yeah, that's, billion dollar yeah. project. Yeah, the Stellantis one and the VW plant, um, they're both kind of close to each other, I think, in Ontario. But I was walking uh, more about, like I just read that <laughs> your town, Vancouver, is now the most expensive place on the planet to live. So uh, I, I was just uh, dazzled when I saw that, and, and they brought out 65-year mortgages. <laughs> That's like uh, like buying a mortgage in England for 100 years or something. So uh, uh, that that's kind of it sounds like kind of a deterrent to me to uh, for building a factory if if you have to have a sixty five year mortgage in order to buy a house it's kind of crazy. It's, I mean, it's extremely expensive here. Um, I'd say like you know you have condos and townhomes going for you know. Our condos, one bedroom going for over half a million dollars, right? And uh, But still on the roads, I think one comment everybody always tells us when they come to Vancouver is I've never seen more Teslas on the road. Yeah, So I don't that's know how truth. people afford these. <laughs> but the thing is, that it's, that's, uh, that's what I noticed when I came to the, uh, to the um, EV show uh, last year. Was ha- and, and one of the, well, I don't know who he was or and I don't know if it's 100% true, but one of the people told me that um, Vancouver is the number one spot for Tesla. As far as per capita basis, Tesla sells, actually, it's, I don't think it was Tesla. I think it was EVs in general. It's the, uh, it's the hottest market basically anywhere. More, more people with EVs per capita than anywhere. Yeah, I actually saw your... Um your Cybertruck uh, interviews and on, on that topic, the Tesla dealership that's the closest to me here was the first one to receive the Cybertruck for display. So I went, obviously, first 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 day I came in, I went to go see it in person. You can only imagine what it was like to drive it for you. But, um, <laughs> it was wild. And, yeah. and, and they, uh, I asked, I was like, how come you guys got the Cybertruck out of anybody else. And so they were the top selling dealership in Canada. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was kind of their reward to, ha- to have that Cybertruck. But still, I mean, I think on the, on the EV side, like Vancouver does have a lot. It's a warmer climate in most of Canada. Um, but I think this, the weather the past little bit has actually, uh, has been quite interesting to follow along with like EV owners in like Alberta and Saskatchewan, where I was, we were just talking about it earlier, where with windshield, it was like hitting minus 60 degrees Celsius. Yeah. So there was a, there was a guy I was following on Twitter or, or X and he was reporting kind of his battery life overnight in, in those conditions and like, you know, showing showing the durability of of the Teslas in in these kind of conditions. So, I think I think it's the number one thing that comes up all the time when it comes to like colder climates. Is like, will an electric vehicle be able to survive in this? And from what I'm seeing, it's actually doing pretty well. Survive and thrive. Well, I used to be in um, you know I was an engine engineer at Ford, and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we had we had lots of situations when you get up. Uh, 
uh, up north. And uh, actually, we did our testing in Winnipeg. Uh, Edmonton, Edmonton never really appealed to me. It's too damn cold. But anyways, we did our, our tests in Winnipeg, and um, and we actually uh, we actually turned gas into Jello um, because of the because of the cold. And people say, well, you know, I don't want to have an electric car. It's battery will degrade and I'll be stuck. Well, you don't. You're not going to get stuck. But I will tell you that um, people that say that you know they'd rather have something because they're going to have a block heater or something like that, that don't work. And if you look at some of the um, uh, some of the videos that we've we've had, you know, or, or not we've had, but but other other channels have had on YouTube, and you look at these guys, and uh, the biggest problem is uh, is cheap chargers. I mean, Tesla chargers always work. ABB chargers mm -hmm. always work. Others, not so much. And some of them, oh my God, uh, like I don't, I don't want to get into it. But we had a we had a storm, and it was uh, I think it was minus uh, what would that be? minus twelve in Fahrenheit would be about minus twenty uh, twenty five or something like that in Celsius. And I'm telling you what, there was a very unhappy woman came to my house after she tried to, to, to charge up her Rivian uh, at uh, all the local yokels. Oh, it's one thing to have a Tesla. It's quite another. And now she just only goes over. She'll come in. She'll look at the sides of the, uh, and my wife's, I don't know if you know, but she's got a PhD in engineering. And she'll go over, she'll read the sides of the, of the, of the uh, cases, you know, the, uh, the boxes themselves. If it doesn't say ABB, she just keeps right on going. When she <laughs> said, she said, I can hardly wait until, uh, you know, Rivian is this year is supposed to be able to allow you to charge with, uh, allow you to charge with, uh, with uh, Tesla chargers. And uh, believe me, she's going to be all in on that one. But so we're drifting away yeah. uh, from from what we were supposed to be talking about. Uh, but at the end of the day, I believe that sooner or later, the marketing people who invent all of the crap, like the the one the one that I liked hearing. Well, I didn't like hearing it, but I heard it a lot, and that was that um, that the cost of recycling or the cost of building. Um, operating and recycling of um, batteries versus an ice system um, is is much more polluting uh, than you know th than going with with the EV type of uh, situation so I looked at this lady and I said where did you get that data from oh everybody knows it <laughs> really well I didn't know that uh, can you, uh, you know, kind of elaborate? Because I do know what comes out of an exhaust pipe. Um, and, okay, so we've got the carbon dioxide down and we've got this down. But when you use it for a couple of hundred thousand miles, it adds up a lot. And But she was adamant. So you got any answers for this lady about uh, the cost for recycling versus um, or the impact of recycling versus the impact of, uh, say, an ice engine over its life? Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I don't know why these topics still come up with. I, I thought it'd be very, very clear, right? When when it comes to right, like 
obviously mining has a uh, you know environmental footprint that leaves behind and and for for electric vehicles we need to mine for different kind of metals and um, but there's innovations going on to be able to use less of those metals as well right uh, so that that brings down the overall footprint of an electric vehicle and then through the life of the electric vehicle it's essentially like you're not you're not polluting and then the end of life that's that's the big one i've always argued with uh, people about as well because what is commercially available right now um generally when you have like what happens to a waste end of life battery now is essentially you know smelting it goes to smelting operation it's a it's called pyrometallurgy uh so you're just burning the battery at very high temperatures um and obviously that is polluting right you and you don't recover lithium you burn that off you don't you don't you know you're really targeting cobalt and nickel and copper and and then really the form factor that you get it in after this high heat operation now you have to go through even more refining and processing to actually get it into battery grade quality if it's going to go back into a battery otherwise it'll just be an intermediate product so yeah you know in a way if we're going to recycle the tsunami of batteries coming in like that that's not going to be that's not going to be wise but um that's why processes like ours that are commercializing innovative approaches and it's just hydrometallurgy right you're not using high heat pyrometallurgy um and and being able to do it in a way that you produce the end product in fewer steps so you're not going through one process to get into an intermediate form factor and then going through another refining process to actually get into battery grade quality um all of those things end up saving um overall in emissions i think we did a life cycle assessment with uh minviro uh, uh the uk so uk L lca consultancy yeah yeah yeah, no, okay, yeah. and uh yeah they did a they did a, a comparison to us of like our recycling process so getting lithium out of our recycling process or getting pre cathode material out of our recycling process compared to mining for it. And obviously there was a benefit, but what we also did was our recycling process compared to competing recycling processes, right? Cause it's pretty evident that recycling will be less impactful than mining. Mm -hmm. But what we also wanted to show is that our recycling process is less, less impactful than environmentally impactful than um other recycling processes right and i think we always think about recycling as it's just it's always green um and even if you aren't using like a high heat process many of the ones i see now still use like just when you look at all the chemicals they use in their process the organics the you know, using solvent extraction, it, it, it just gets, it's so complex. You, you have a lot of wastewater you have to deal with and treat. Um, it's, it's a high cost. So yeah, I, th I think what we're really demonstrating as well as recycling isn't all green. There are more efficient ways of doing it. And ours, I believe, if I remember correctly, was a 62% reduction in CO2 equivalent emissions compared to those other competing processes. Mm. So even within that kind of umbrella of recycling, there there is a lot of lot lot to be um, saved. Um, and I think at the end of the day, as we get 
more into the commercialization of recycling processes, the market will naturally um, filter out, um, you know, companies that don't meet certain quotas or, you know, we're going to have targets on efficiencies of recycled material, efficiencies of um, emissions. Um, and if you don't meet those, you know, new benchmarks are constantly going to be set by legislation and, and you're going to meet those targets. Um, and I think naturally that's where the most efficient processes will come out and um, kind of take, take dominant market share. Well, I'm, I, I'm sure you must be very proud of your accomplishments so far, but what do you think the, mm, the apex of, of accomplishment is for you? You're personally, what, where do you think, what do you think you, you, you've accomplished that really makes you the super proud? You know, if you asked me a while ago, I'm always kind of pushing the goalposts on us. It's yeah. probably not the healthiest thing to do to yourself, but yeah. um, for me, you know, one, one of those big goals was to actually show the full circularity of, of battery materials, I'm not just saying recycling or saying we upcycle it, but now, you know, having companies on board who wanted to test those materials. And I think like when we showed that, you know, battery cell can be made and used and this material can infinitely be reused um, was a big accomplishment. And then it's kind of the goalposts got pushed and they're like, well, we need to be able to commercialize this technology. And now, now that's, uh, I think one of the biggest accomplishments for us is, um, the, you know, and, and the most work we've been doing now is, you know, getting, getting this to, um, built and commercial and, and start operating at a larger scale. So not just showing that cells can be circular, but now doing it on a very consistent and commercial basis. Hmm. And, uh, and I'm sure the next goalpost will be uh, until we're kind of on every every continent in multiple areas, and mm. um, always got always got to just set that set that new target. Well, that sounds great. I I um, I've been asking all the questions, but maybe I've been asked the right one. Is there something you'd like to add here to uh, you know drive home the points or whatever, or something we haven't talked about? Anything that uh, that you'd like to mention? Well. Maybe I'd like to ask you a question. Let me uh, let me think on, on that one a little bit. But I have a question for you because I know you're always you know analyzing different vehicles and and we're seeing this shift from battery cells to modules to packs, and you know we see Tesla making very innovative ways of just casting the yeah. the whole car and cell to chassis. You know, for somebody taking them apart, how do you? Because it's going to be important for a recycler. Now it's like you could take out cells or modules or packs and you can remove it from the car and send that down. It's recycling route of being, you know, separated and shredded and, and, and processed. But now almost it's, what are your thoughts? Is the whole car going to almost have to go in the shredder at this point? Like no. how easy has it been for you no, to, uh, to separate this? No, drop in a battery is usually a, a piece of cake. Um, in fact, uh, if it's a Tesla, it makes it easier because when we drop the battery, we also get out the seats, the center console, most of the wire harnesses. Um, I mean, when that comes down, the seats are attached to the battery pack. Um, and and quite frankly, a good number of other things can come with it, like the rear seats. Those are a bugger to get in and out, hurt your back. Now with, th we have a, uh, we have a, um, a lift mechanism that 
you could use to put the battery pack in, but we use it to get it out. And uh, for us, it's made it a whole lot easier to do uh, a teardown. Um, and what then, go ahead. What about like the next kind of generation of like cell to chassis or if it's... Cell to chassis? Mm, that would be kind of difficult because quite frankly, I still think it's going to have to be a module. Um, it's going to have to be a fairly large module. The battery module is huge. Um, and, um, making that module with the rest of the body surrounding it, it'd be, I wouldn't dream of doing that. Um, I think that, and quite frankly, I think that there's, the more we get uh, close to ADAS or self-driving, uh, situations, the more likelihood that there's going to be a change from the materials we use currently, steel or aluminum for the bodies to something else. And something else is probably going to be an inexpensive plastic. And the reason for that is because I don't have to paint it. It'll be lighter. Um, it'll be stronger. Uh, but I won't have to worry too much about crashes because, in essence, as we move toward edge computing or faster computing, then what we'll see is that uh, the car will take over, especially now that we have... Finally, uh, somebody has decided that what they're going to do is they're going to make it so that it's drive-by-wire. Once it's drive-by-wire, and I have an ADAS system that can respond to, um, you know, microseconds kinds of uh, bad situations, and I don't have to worry about someone who has a, doesn't have the temperament for making fast decisions in a car. Our cars won't get into crashes. It just won't happen. And by the way, the other thing that I can do is I, I, don't, I don't have a real... It's not like I've got an automatic transmission where if I slam it into reverse, you're just blowing the transmission up. With this, I just spin the motor in the opposite direction. So if I'm barreling along and I'm heading for basically an accident or a tree in the road or whatever... There's no reason in the world why I can't spin those electric motors backwards. Uh, the gears are engaged continuously, um, and I'm out of the way. Uh, I think there's going to be lots and lots of things that are going to happen in the next 10 years that's going to drive us towards something that um, there's a fellow named Francois Castaing, and Francois um, came up with something called the pop bottle car. And... I had come up with something similar to that. <laughs> we call it the uh, club car, <laughs> uh, golf car. And, and in essence, everything was made out of plastic. Why? Well, not going to see any accidents. No reason at all to have steel. I mean, you put steel in a golf car, guess what you get? A rusted mess because they use nitrogen all over the place in the, uh, in the grass, and it eats up the, the, it'll eat up steel quickly but it chews up, uh, turns uh, aluminum into aluminum oxide eventually as well. Plastic doesn't care. Um, it doesn't care if it gets wet. In fact, it likes to get wet. Uh, so at the end of the day, I think we're going to be moving away from things that currently we think are holies as far as design is concerned, and we're going to move toward, um, we're going to move toward materials that today we wouldn't even think of considering because we have to worry about crashworthiness. As we move in that direction, I think what you're going to find is that module, the battery module, will still be the same. It'll be some sort of a module, but it's probably going to be in a plastic case. 
it's probably going to be, there's going to be less likelihood of hiring, or sorry, having a bunch of giant steel parts around it. And so I think the recycling might turn into a situation where you remove, you remove the battery tray, and that goes in one direction. You move maybe a couple of steel longerons that, or sorry, not longerons, but longitudinals that uh, basically support the car, and they go for steel recycling, and the rest just gets chewed up and put in for remelt, and you turn it into a car again, That's, or into some sort of plastic anyway. So I think that's what we're going to see in 10 years. Uh, at least that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Well, I think and that, and that's a good point because I know you asked me kind of if there's anything else I want to add. And I think that that would tie in really well because um, in the recycling industry is all we get asked a lot. You know, there's new battery technologies coming out. There's So I think you always got to stay flexible. You got to stay innovative. You got to know what's coming out there, right? Like you hear, you know, can we still recycle solid state batteries? Can we do this? Can we do that? Right. And it's, you know, all of these things we have to be aware of ourselves. So we can't really go out and reach too far thinking this is the definitive future of, you know, battery recycling. So for us being, you know, this more nimble approach is, I, I think, really key to us. Because you also see battery, actually one final note, you see um, with this year we had um, an announcement, but you see with battery chemistries, it's constantly changing. So yeah. if we had a process that would only recycle NCA cells, only recycle NMC cells, well now this influx of LFP would 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 ruin us, right? And and because now you need a way to recycle LFP. And uh, for us this year, so far we had a news release where we shared an Asian battery materials company took our lithium carbonate and tested it in uh, LFP cells. So we're we're kind of constantly on our toes, making sure you know our material applies well in next generational battery technologies like nanoramic. Our recycling technology applies into new materials like LFP. When there's no nickel or cobalt yeah. or manganese, it becomes technically less profitable for a recycling company, which is only why you need so much more of a that much more of an efficient process to make the most out of the lithium that you can get like out of LFP as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, exactly what you said, I mean, you have a vision for 10 years down the road. And I think we were thinking that same, same way of um, how are we going to line up with, um, uh, you know, recycling and, and how are we going to plan for what's to come? Well, based on what I've seen, um, I think that, uh, I think that uh, recycling is going to have to be uh, agile, to say the least, because I saw, I've seen at least a half a dozen new chemistries that have come down the pike, including crystalline. I would have never, ever thought uh, that we'd be going into quartz. I really think that agility is going to be the, the thing that everybody's going to have to think about. How do you, if you get stuck in one process or one mindset, your chances of success uh, kind of like are going to evaporate. Um, but if you look at everything at an early enough stage, you should probably be able to make almost anything work. And in the case of solid state batteries, where it's hard to say what um, your substrates might be, but I think that at the end of the day, there's always going to be some clever way to make things happen. And uh, I know that one of the key factors that people are talking about right now is um, 
where are we going to get the electricity to run these cars and the batteries? How are we filling them up with? Well, well um, one of the things that I saw at the Consumer Electronics Show that filled me with promise was the um, Doosan showing off a nuclear power plant. Hmm. You know what? They've got a clever idea there that uh, I've never seen anybody use anything quite like that before. And, um, you know, that's pretty clean and it's dirt cheap. When I was a kid in Canada, I mean, they had to add the water bill to your electric bill so that it was a bill that was worth a postage stamp to send in the, uh, the check. So, I mean, I, I know that it could be less expensive and whatnot. I know there's a stigma, all the sad faced people that don't want to have it, but I believe that with electrification of pretty much everything, um, I believe that we're going to be moving into something where recycling is going to be, that's going to be pretty important, really important actually. So I, I commend you on the work that you're doing. I think you're doing a fine job. Um, and I, uh, I, I, I'm going to probably be pestering you for other interviews. Are you going to be at the electric show, um, in, uh, in Vancouver again? I heard there's another one. Yeah. To do it again. Yeah. Well, for sure. If it's yeah. in back. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, we will see you more, a couple more times as well and see yeah. the progress we have going on. Yeah. Sounds great. Well, anyways, I'd like to thank you very much, uh, Zerko, for, for giving us some of your time today. And I wish you all the best luck on the planet. And let's, uh, you know, keep in touch. I, I, I definitely want to be able to see, um, I definitely want to be able to see uh, one of your plants in operation in Canada one of these days, or the United States. Um, there's plenty of battery plants that are going up around here. So it'd be great if yeah, we could I see mean, that happen. Work, uh, work in progress. Uh, yeah. well, hopefully we can make, get, some, get some announcements out there. Great. Sounds good. Again, thank you very much. Thanks, Andy. All righty. Bye-bye.